hello everybody and welcome to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. This is of course your host, Pastor Brian. And you're probably already noticing that the uh, audio doesn't sound as good as it normally does. Well, that would be because I'm using the onboard uh, microphone for my laptop here instead of a microphone that I've so generously provided for by one of my friends. But I am currently recording at my work right now, so I forgot to bring the big microphone with me, so I'm just going to have to deal with using my onboard microphone with the laptop. So today we're actually continuing our study into Galatians 5.22 and moving on to the next word that's mentioned as a fruit of the Spirit. First one we talked about last week with love, at least in the agape sense, and this one is joy. And the word that is actually used here for joy is the word kara, which means joy or gladness. And this word is also used in that same context in Luke 1.14, the announcement of John the Baptist's future conception. In Luke 15.7 and 15.10, the joy in heaven over one sinner coming to repentance. In John 15.11, with Jesus assuring the disciples that as long as they follow God's commandments, they will live and stay in his love. And he is telling them that this is so that their joy might be full or complete. In John 16:22, the promise of joy and gladness that we'll have, uh, that we will have when Jesus rises again, or that they had when Jesus rose again, which was a joy that no one could take away and no one ever did. In John 17:13, it was the reason for Jesus' teachings. In Acts 8:8, 8, 8, it was joy in the city of Samaria at the miracles performed through Philip. So. All of those passages of Scripture contain the same word with the same usage there. And one thing that we gather from joy, at least in the Christian sense, is that joy is so much more than just smiling and having good feelings. It's having a deep-rooted sense of gladness that does not fade. Just as agape love does, joy stands against the deeds of the flesh. And the first of which I wrote down here is enmity which is active opposition and hostility towards someone or something. And, you know, a couple questions that arise from that. What feelings come about when you oppose or are hostile towards someone? Are those good feelings? Some of the ones that I thought of were like anger. Anger always pops up when you're feeling hostile or in opposition towards someone. You're not going to be the happiest of people towards that person. What about malice? which is just purposefully doing things and planning things to harm said person. Because if your goal is to oppose them or to be hostile, of course you're going to have certain things that you do, certain things that you do on purpose, per se, that are actively trying to be hostile towards them. So there's malice there. And then hatred was another one that I, that I wrote down as being some of the feelings that come through enmity. And... None of these produce or are a product of joy. They just can't. You can't be joyful and be angry at the same time. You can't be joyful and be malicious. You can't be joyful and be hateful towards people. Uh, so what do you seek when, um, when you have enmity towards someone? Like, What are some of the things that you're looking for? You look for destroying that person. You pine and desire for destruction. This also cannot come from joy. There's just absolutely no way for that to work. Jealousy is, the, is another one of the deeds of the flesh that are in direct opposition to joy here. 
It's the outward showings of envy and rivalry that spring from feelings of insufficiency in regard to material things or personal experiences. This goes hand hand in hand with envy here. Jealousy looks at things and lives of others and says, it's not fair, I deserve that. Envy looks at the things and lives of others and says, I deserve that, what I have isn't enough. Jealousy is a state of being while envy is an action. Envy leads to jealousy. And joy does not lead to jealousy. Joy does not lead to envy. Jealousy leads to envy, and envy springs from jealousy. But neither of those can come from joy. There's just no way for that to occur. So you can't have those feelings of envy and have joy at the same time. They're completely incompatible with true joy. Having joy will lead you away from jealousy and envy, not toward jealousy and envy. Anger is another one that's um, in direct opposition here or at least outbursts of anger, like we mentioned with the deeds of the flesh earlier in the chapter. It's the inability to control anger. It leads to harming others physically, mentally, and emotionally, and even spiritually. You you end up causing a lot of damage when you have these outbursts of anger, these uncontrollable just fits of rage with your words, with your actions, with your deeds. It can cause a lot of problems and a lot of issues. Allowing yourself to be guided by anger does not leave room for joy, just as being guided by the Spirit, who gives joy, leaves no room for anger. And you're probably noticing something, a pattern, I guess, of how these things work, where if you're following the Spirit, the fruits that are produced from that are good things. But if you're following the deeds of the flesh, you're going to produce fleshly things, sinful things. When you have a dedication in your life to following after the Spirit, you're not going to produce those those fleshly things. Just as if you're living your life dedicated to following the deeds and desires of your flesh, it's not going to produce spiritual things. It just, it can't. Those two don't work. It's like planting an apple tree and expecting oranges, or an orange tree and expecting grapes or cherries. It's just It's not going to happen. And so you see that with jealousy and anger and enmity is that the more that you do those things, the more those things produce. And the more that you follow after joy, the more it leads to other fruits of the Spirit too. And speaking of more deeds of the flesh, there were two specifically that we've talked about so far when it comes to that that I think go perfectly in opposition to joy right here. Because, of course, enmity, jealousy, anger, all those things um, are, are good comparisons. and good well, Not comparisons, but good contrasts to joy. But there are two that were mentioned in our study on the deeds of the flesh that I think work really, really well in this uh, discussion here. And those are drunkenness and carousing. These two, at times, can look like joy. People that are drunk and participating in these revelries... They laugh. Joy brings laughter. People with these things or that follow these things, they enjoy the experience. Joy brings enjoyment as well. It's part of it. Enjoyment comes from joy. People use these things to get through bad times as well. And then joy also provides peace and healing through dark times in our life. So they can look similar. Drunkenness and carousing and then joy, they look on the surface level as if they are 
things that can go together. They look compatible. However, drunkenness and carousing, they bring false senses of joy. Drunkenness and carousing, they usually involve being intoxicated, obviously, uh, especially with drunkenness. It is being intoxicated. But carousing usually involves that as well. And what comes from being intoxicated? One, lack of control leads to giving in to selfish desires. When people allow themselves to be caught up in crowds, especially when those crowds are mixed in with alcohol or just being mixed in with alcohol or any other intoxicant that you can name there, um, they end up doing things that maybe they normally wouldn't have. Or let me backtrack on that. Not that they wouldn't have, but they wouldn't have the um, wherewithal, I guess, to do it because of obligations and because of um, just just not wanting to to be associated with those things, I guess, as opposed to falling after things of Christ. But when you remove the ability to control, when you remove that ability to say no, you end up doing things and saying things and acting in certain ways that you should know are wrong, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. You should know that those things are not right to do. But you end up doing them anyway because you're not able to control yourself. Your, um, your lack of control is evident in that. And then also those things, drunkenness and carousing, they produce senses of euphoria. But it's only temporary and it's artificial. It's only for the time that you're doing it or the time that you're intoxicated, the time you're in the crowd the time you're spending with that stuff. Once that's over, it's gone. You don't have that same joy about it anymore. You don't have that same euphoria that's attached to it. It's, it's, it disappears. And then it's artificial. A lot of people turn to intoxicants to get away from problems in their life. They end up turning to those things because it helps them escape. And I know specifically the word here means alcohol or any of its variants when it talks about being drunk. But being drunk can mean so much more than that. You can be drunk on the things of this world as well, where you replace something that is by itself neutral or maybe even good, and you use it to a sinful, selfish way. You take something that God intended for good use or for enjoyment and you abuse it in order to escape from the problems of your life. You use it in order to get away from the things that are um, frustrating you or stressing you out or anything like that. So instead of becoming just something to enjoy, they become your escape to get away from things that you're not enjoying at the time. It's essentially telling God that my life is too hard right now. What I'm going through is too difficult right now. I need, uh, I need an escape from this. I need to get away from it. I need to remove my mind from whatever situation this is. I need to get away from it. And because of that, people turn to alcohol. They turn to drugs. They turn to relationships. They turn to um, other addictions and things that maybe on the surface don't seem bad. Could be um, working on a car. Could be playing video games. It could be watching television or movies or listening to music. When you take things that God intended to be good and you use them as a replacement for joy in your life, 
you end up making that a bad thing. You turn it into something bad because those things are not, not all of them are bad. Like, don't get me wrong. Those things by themselves are not bad. It's that when we use them in abusive ways towards ourselves, because when you're going through your life, you need to be able to feel things. You need to be able to feel emotions. You need to be able to process emotions. You don't need to run from them. And does it take longer for some people to process emotions? Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes people more time on certain things because of the depth of the hurt that was caused or trauma that might be attached to it. But don't take saying, let me, hold on. Don't use, oh, I'm just taking a long time to heal as an excuse to stop healing. You still need to try to heal. You still need to spend time working on that. Yes, it happens at different rates for different people, but you still need to keep trying. You don't need to give up. And essentially what you do when you allow yourself to become drunk with the things of this world is that you give up. You turn to that thing. You make that thing your new sense source of joy. And the things of this world, whether it be a person, whether it be alcohol or drugs or anything, those things cannot produce joy the same way that knowing Jesus can and the same way that following after Christ can. They just can't do it. Joy leads to good feelings, um, but ultimately produces more joy. However, drunkenness and carousing, they might lead to good feelings for a time, but they ultimately lead to destructive behavior. They always lead that way. Just because things produce similar feelings does not mean the root causes of those things are the same, nor does it mean that they lead to the same places. The differences between drunkenness and carousing when compared to joy are certainly a microcosm for the differences between the life dedicated to the desires of the flesh and the life of someone who desires to live in accordance with the Spirit. Because a life that is dedicated to serving the flesh leads to these things. One, it leads to a temporary fleshly satisfaction, but it is a satisfaction that is never truly enough. You're always going to be searching for that again. You're always going to be finding more and more and more reasons to try to fulfill those fleshly desires because it's almost like drinking salt water. It seems like it does its job. It's water. It looks like it's good, but it only makes you more thirsty. You just keep coming back for more and keep coming back for more, and it just never does what you think it's going to do for you. It also adds fuel to other fleshly desires as well. The more that you feed one, the harder it gets to reject the others. You know, when I was thinking about the study, I contemplated how many times in my life have I heard someone or witnessed someone commit a hurtful sin and say something along the lines of the following, I'm sorry I did that because I was too angry or because I was too drunk or because I was caught up in the moment. I've heard that so many times from other people, from people I love, and from myself even. And I'm sure that those of us here that are being honest would say the same thing, that you've heard yourself say that phrase before. I'm sorry I did that because I was too blank. I gave in to one of those desires of my flesh, and it caused me to do something even worse It caused me to go even further into that failure. It caused me to do something or commit something or act in a certain way that I know I shouldn't have. But because I allowed myself to stay with that one feeling and to act in that certain way, it produced more. kind of goes back to what Jesus says in the Gospels. Um, 
I love when he's talking about it because I've done a couple sermons on it where when he is talking to his disciples and people that are listening, he says, you have heard that it has been said to not commit adultery. But I say that if you look upon someone with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery with that person. You've already done it. And that was a shock to a lot of them because they thought, okay, I can have those feelings, but as long as I don't act on them, I'm fine. Jesus says, no, just having the feeling is bad enough, but it leads to you doing those things eventually anyway. So if you allow yourself to stay in those feelings, it's just as bad as committing that action because you are laying the foundation for that future failure. Jesus says the same thing about anger and murder, being angry at your brother, and then it's just as bad as killing him. And of course you're not killing your brother. You're not murdering him. But you're laying that groundwork for the feelings that could eventually lead you to that. And because of that, we need to repent of those feelings. When those feelings arise in our brain and the Holy Spirit kind of knocks and says, hey, you probably don't need to think that way. You know better than thinking that way. We repent of it and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I should not have done that. I apologize. Let's move on. And so many people don't want to do that. They're like, oh, I just had the feeling of um, committing adultery with that person. I just had the feeling of uh, being angry or malicious towards that person, but I didn't actually do anything about it. Thinking and feeling that way is just as bad as committing the sin itself. And the second we realize that, the second we are able to better control our actions. Because if you sit there and say, the way that I think doesn't matter with my actions, it does. Because the more you think something, the more you're going to start thinking that that thing is okay to do. And the more that you think it's okay to do, the more likely you are to actually commit the action that you started, like to saying you were avoiding. And so the more that you follow after the Spirit, the more it will produce more desire to follow after the Spirit. And the more that you follow the flesh, the more it will produce the desires to follow after the flesh. Because just as all fleshly desires work together to produce more of themselves, the fruits of the Spirit seek the same. So if you claim to follow Christ, we should seek to increase our output of fruit that comes from the Spirit rather than the deeds of the flesh. Let us pray. God, as we come before you here today, we're just so blessed and humbled and grateful for this day you've given us and for this time that you allowed us to spend studying here in Galatians 5.22. And we pray, God, that each person that's listening to this podcast, and even those that aren't, would be strengthened and boldened to follow after the Spirit, to produce more fruit of the Spirit, to lean more and trust more in you and your word, and rather than our own, and our own desires, our own fleshly, sinful selves. I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to do so, to turn to you, to be more like you in everything that we do. And God, we love you. We thank you and praise you for the time that you've given us. And it's in Jesus' name we do humbly pray. Amen. Thank you guys again, and I will see you next week.